You may be seated. Merry Christmas. I'm Aubrey. I'm one of the pastors here at the Church of the Incarnation, and I'm so happy to be here with you tonight. Now, a few minutes ago, uh, we heard the story of Jesus' birth from the Gospel of Luke. And in that account, there are emperors, and there are angels, and there are shepherds, and there's a manger, and in all of this flurry of activity... We see that heaven, with a song in its heart, has sent Jesus to the earth. In Luke chapter 2, that's what we get. We get this rare glimpse of the angelic entourage that serves God Almighty. We get to see a portion of that heavenly choir sing a song that they've been practicing for millennia. Now think about that, our choir, right? They've been practicing for weeks. (laughs) Can you imagine the angels? They've been getting ready for this, right? This is what the scriptures tell us. For millennia, they've been practicing, and now they are getting to sing the most amazing song that's ever been written, right? This is Beethoven's Eroica times a thousand, you know? This changes everything, and all that practice, and all those centuries of waiting, and, and to sing this perfect song, it all comes down to just one performance. In one dark night, on a hillside, Outside a tiny, obscure little village, you know, that didn't even get, get its name on the maps. Now think about that for just a minute. One performance for one very special occasion. And that special occasion is what we're celebrating here tonight. The birth of God's own son. And the conductor is God himself. And the singers are the angels and the audience. Now... If you had written the greatest song ever and you had gotten a group of people to practice it for millennia and it was going to have one performance, who do you invite, right? right? Who gets invited to the elite performances? It's striking, isn't it? That God invites the shepherds. Now, who are these illustrious guests? Well, in that society, they weren't cute. They hadn't been made into figurines. They were the peasants. They were the ones located at the bottom of all the scales of power and privilege. They were the people who experienced life without safety nets. Middle class white people in America, it's hard for us to understand this. These are the roving band of migrant laborers working the graveyard shift. Now what about these angels? I mean, because they're the ones that are singing this thing. We learned a couple of weeks ago in a sermon that Sam preached that we shouldn't be confused by the amazing and beautiful displays in the stores that show us angels that are glittery and they're cut out and they've got these strings of Christmas lights. He said to us, no, don't think of that as an angel. Real angels are more like retina-searing supernovas of holiness and glory. So it's no surprise... That the shepherd's response is to be filled with fear. Whatever the angels were, they struck terror in the hearts of guys who are accustomed to working the graveyard shift. And then when, the, when this principal angel shows up before the concert, right? And he steps out to get everybody's attention. Hush down, you shepherds. And he begins to alert them 
that the music that has been being prepared for all ages is about to be sung, his announcement before the concert begins, to you this day is born in the city of David a Savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. For the first time in history, those three titles are put together. Never have those titles been put together before. Do you know what it means to be called a savior? In that day, 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem, that was used of lots of people. It was used of the emperor. It was used of philosophers. It was used of doctors. A savior was someone who delivered you from peril. Real physical peril. That's what's been born in Bethlehem. Now, these guys knew physical peril, right? Both their job and their location in society. To be called a Messiah, this meant that the entire story that the Bible tells has finally come to its climactic moment. That God's plan to set the whole world right, to get this whole creation back on track, that's what this Savior is. And then he's called the Lord. This means you're the king. You're the leader, the ruler, the one in charge. So let's be clear. This is real solid, you can build your life on it kind of good news. It's not just some cute thing told to a group of guys in the night. Because whatever this thing is that they're told changes their fear to joy. So what they were told is not some ambiguous thing. It wasn't some cute phrase like we're accustomed to thinking about it. No, it really meant something real. Either this is the most solid truth in the world or we're wasting our time here tonight. And we should listen to Richard Dawkins when he tells us we ought to just go home, have a drink, and forget the whole thing. But if it's true, if it's true that the child born in Bethlehem is Savior, Messiah, and Lord then that must translate into something far more solid and life-changing and community-rescuing than simply a warm, nostalgic inner glow that we gather when we get together in moments like this. Now, what does this song of the angels mean? When they stand up and they start singing and they sing praise and glory to God and they sing peace, that's flourishing, available because of the child who has brought together all three of these things. Savior, Messiah, and Lord. What does the song of the angels sung to these shepherds in Bethlehem on the first Christmas, what does it have to say to the shepherds of Harrisonburg today? Who are the shepherds in our city? In our community. Who is in our community that works long hours for not enough pay in the middle of the night waiting for any glimmer of hope? Who in our society are at the bottom of the social ladder, at the bottom of the financial ladder, at the bottom of the pile when it comes to accessing support and help? Because that's who's in your nativity set. You see, we, we've got to take this seriously and and. And I think that when we look at those shepherds, the shepherds in our society today are our immigrants and our refugees and the African-American population continuing to suffer from centuries of disenfranchisement from a stake in the production side of economy. But tonight I want to alert you to another group of shepherds piling up in Harrisonburg. In our church, a young woman by the name of Winona Hogan and a much older man by the name of Mike Trainum are helping us to recognize 
the injustices wrapped up in our swelling prisoner population. And you might be thinking, what in the world? I thought I came to like a Christmas Eve service. Yeah, but do you realize that the first time the the birth of Christ was told, it starts with an emperor and a census, and it deals with the immigrants, the refugees. This is what it's about. When you start at the beginning of it and get to the end of it, it's wrapped up in these kind of political issues. As many of you know, in the 1960s, the United States experienced a notorious crime wave. And then beginning in the 1970s, our government began to produce criminal legislation from a new perspective. The perspective that it is pointless to try to rehabilitate those who break the law, and the only realistic solution is to incapacitate a criminal through the use of incarceration. As a result, the percentage of our population living in the United States who are behind bars has grown by more than 400% since our government adopted that new perspective. And now, America locks up more people per capita than any nation in the world. And when it comes to our own state, Virginia, We have a per capita lockup rate that is 500% higher than any other independent country in the world. And if we take this seriously, we think, now what does all this have to do with shepherds? Well, here's the deal. Remember, the shepherds were the ones who their job couldn't make the ends meet. They were working the graveyard shift. And the wider society didn't respect them. And because they didn't respect them, they didn't open up any of the, uh, the doors everybody else got to walk through that could help them climb out of their economic predicament. If we take that seriously, if we really look at the shepherds in our nativity scenes, and if we let the Bible define them, if we see them in their historical context, then we must ask, who are the shepherds today? This is precisely the kind of reflecting we must do at Christmas. I mean, at the end of Luke's story of the birth of Jesus, he gives reactions to the birth. Everybody stood in wonder, but Mary pondered. See, Luke is telling the story because he doesn't doesn't want you to just be in wonder and amazement. He doesn't want you to rest with a nostalgic inner glow. He wants you to do what Mary did, to put two and two together, to mull on these things, to add them up, to say, what do they mean for me here today? And as I've been doing that myself, as I've been looking at these shepherds in Luke 2, I see standing behind them the prisoners swelling Harrisonburg's jail, waiting in the darkness for any glimmer of light. Do you know that the unemployment rates of ex-felons in their first year out of incarceration is 75%? You go to jail, you get out, 25% of the people who get out can find a job. And of those who do land a job, the initial average negative impact on their wages is 10 to 20%. Automatically, you can't get a job. Only 25% can. Those who do automatically make 10 to 20% less than their peers. And then as years go by, the real net income of the ex-inmate year by year drops. So as years go by, you're going to make less money than you did the previous year. Did you know that two-thirds of the individuals now entering prison in America are offenders whose probation or parole was revoked for a technical violation and not for a new crime? I'll be blunt, since I've been skating around the edges. 
Here in Harrisonburg in Rockingham County, we've got to shift from being tough on crime to being right on crime. As former President George Bush said, we know from long experience that if prisoners, when they get out of jail, can't find work, they are much more likely to commit new crimes and return to prison. The government must protect the public. It must enforce the rule of law, but it must do it well. And what I'm saying What I'm trying to say, what I'm trying to do here tonight, I'm trying to carve out a little place for us in the midst of all of our parties and all of our celebrations and the great food we're going to eat and the great times that we're going to have. I'm trying to carve out a little space for us to follow Mary's model. For us to see that the song of the angels is, and I'll say it again, about something far more solid and life-changing and community rescuing than simply a nostalgic, warm inner glow. So back to the original shepherds, listening to the angels outside of Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. Remember this announcement. This song was real news about real rescue that produced real joy. But, here's the catch, how did that real rescue producing real joy, happen. So you keep reading in Luke's gospel. Okay, here's the announcement. Here's what's going to happen. How does it actually happen? And we find it happening as the grown-up Jesus starts riding into towns as the Savior, Messiah, King. But he's not the kind of king who rides into town, kills off his enemies, and establishes a benevolent dictatorship, mandating kind of peace among everybody else. Now Jesus spoke about his kingdom coming like seeds, growing slowly, secretly, like a shepherd looking for a lost sheep. And all of this is happening in a world where emperors think they run the show and they think that the census is their idea so that they can get what they want done, but really behind it and above it all is a far greater king running the show in this sad and tired world. You see, Christmas is about God becoming flesh part and parcel of our reality with all the suffering and puzzlement that goes with it. And this God in the flesh is the Lord of the world. He is defeating his enemies through his death and rising to rule and rescue the whole creation. It really is impossible to overstate how political Christmas is and how serious this stuff. Christmas, the birth of Jesus, is not simply about Jesus being Lord in a distant heaven on the one hand and in in your own private heart on the other hand. Notice when Luke tells the Christmas story, he opens it with corrupt emperors and he ends it with the working poor. The good news that Jesus was born cannot leave the real problems of our real communities out of the, out untouched. If Jesus is not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. You see, the angels meant what they said. Glory to God in highest and peace upon earth. The angels meant that. But the way to that meaning is through Jesus' followers picking up the threads of his own life and bringing his saving rule to bear through acts of love and mercy by working for justice and truth, whether it's for the immigrants, documented or undocumented, or the ex-felons, or the most vulnerable among us, the babies in the wombs, or the entire planet as human greed and carelessness make it a place of danger and pollution instead of joy and beauty. And the key to all of this is the song the angels sang. 
glory to God in heaven and peace upon earth. The whole point of Christmas is that in Bethlehem, Mary swaddles in cloth a star and puts it in a manger. Jesus is the bright and morning star. This is heaven come to earth. And here's the kicker. Giving glory to God in the highest in heaven is directly linked to working for peace and justice at his behest here on earth. If we who worship him are to work for his kingdom here and now, we must do it among the shepherds, the immigrants, the prisoners, and all of those who live on the edge of hope. Let's praise Jesus tonight. From full and glad hearts, let's celebrate his birth with everything we've got. And then let's go and bring God glory in heaven by bringing peace and justice to people here on earth. If your job doesn't bring you to the shepherds and your house doesn't put you living next to the shepherds, then you've got to get it into your life. This is a non-negotiable. The angels sang their song. They did a marvelous job. It's time we learn to sing it back. Let's pray. If you'll pray along with me a prayer of response. Oh God, you have caused this holy night to shine with the brightness of the one true light. Grant that we who have known the mystery of that light on earth may also enjoy him perfectly in heaven where with you and the Holy Spirit, he lives and reigns, one God, in glory everlasting. Amen. Now, in just a moment, when we sing Joy to the World, we're going to take an offering for those with physical and financial needs. Uh, not a penny will go to anything else. You're welcome to participate in that. But first, let's finish these readings. Matt.